0: The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the International Broadcast Specialist, Marketeers.
1: Welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I'm Arthi Shaw. I'm your host for today's episode that features Paul Quigley, who is CEO of Newswhip, a media intelligence company. Um, Paul has also been featured on our Innovator 25 for the work that he's done around media intelligence. So NewsWhip partnered with us um, on doing a series looking at how information is being shared and spread um, online. And, of course, given what's happening this year, we've focused a lot of this content on COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter. And we will link that series um, in the show notes. And, of course, we have Paul here on the show today to talk to us about that. Welcome to the show, Paul.
0: Thanks so much, Artie. It's great to be here.
1: You know, it's funny because I was thinking about when we started planning for the series earlier this year, how we had a completely different editorial calendar than what's actually yeah. happened. Um, so this curious from your end, like, I mean, what, you know, what kind of, what kind of interest in inbound requests are you all even getting from your clients? Is it all around COVID and Black Lives Matter? Or you know, how was that? How was it different than what you saw last year?
0: Oh, there 's there's such a big range of issues going on under the surface of the of the headline issues too, like what 's happened for us in the last four months is the usage of our products has gone way up, like the number of times people log in per day, et cetera there 's just so much engagement with news media content, and being able to see which stories are spreading, which ones are big, which ones aren 't who's influencing those stories has become um, much more immediate. So our customer success team are very hands-on. We're also kind of producing mini reports for clients as needed about different issues. And when you move out of like the most engaged with stories, like the stories that get a million shares, you know, it really matters to a brand if there's a story about it getting 5,000 shares. And if, you know, either a COVID-19 response or some dimension of Black Lives Matter response gets a good or a negative response, those are you know, much smaller numbers than, you know, front page of CNN, but still very significant for stakeholders. So they want to understand and and unpack those. But it's been, you know, we thought early in the year, we'd be talking about let's identify using data, the big influencers in tech and, you know, various other, you you know, more prosaic evergreen things. And, And this has not been a prosaic evergreen year at all. Um, and I meanwhile, well, just engagement with, with content and media has been off the charts off any previous way, way, way ahead of any previous year.
1: You know, because maybe because I'm in Silicon Valley and I've been talking to a lot of B2B tech companies, one of the things that keeps coming up is, you know, what's our narrative right now? How do we even fit in to this conversation? Um, especially, you know, if you don't really have a COVID-19 angle or or, you know, other than you know, other than showing support for, for the Black Lives Matter movement, um, there's not a ton more that you have to contribute. Um, are you getting a lot of questions like that? Like, you know, how do I fit into this narrative um, right now? Or like, w- where's the white space?
0: I think what you see, our, our users often are the agencies that are advising brands. So it's often it's the agencies themselves and what they want To do is to see well how is it going for other companies that have taken steps you know what what where is the coverage happening you know is is the engagement with that negative or positive um what kind of volume of engagement is it getting and that that can then be used to refine a strategy or advice or to give some ammunition like this is why i think you should take a step about this because this is getting a lot of engagement Mm -hmm. and a lot of You know, COVID nineteen especially presented a lot of indirect opportunities for brands to engage, like Audible, giving away free access to their audio libraries for I think a two-month period, got like six hundred thousand Facebook engagements. So that's incredible earned. You know, that's over half a million people choosing to share and and, and comment and, and like that story. You can only imagine then the reads and whether or not people even read it, the headline itself tells enough of the story if that appears in someone's newsfeed, to drive people to to Audible. And, you know, as a kind of lead generation, that's incredible. But it was also a great pro-social and positive thing. And people share it because they're getting to pass on something that's free and useful to their friends. So there's a lot of indirect ways like that without manufacturing a ventilator or, you know, Shipping PPE from China to a hospital. There's a lot of other ways that I think brands very positively were able to to engage around uh, COVID-19, especially.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. We actually we we, ended, we had a conversation earlier um, in, in the crisis with some brands who were doing just that. I mean, they were actually like printing out PPE materials if they were a um, digital a three D printer, or they were if they were a, a logistics company, they were actually transporting PPE. Um, and, and I think one of the big questions we got from brands was, okay, well, you all have these great stories that are easily translatable, but what if you don't? Like, what are the opportunities? And So, so that, that's interesting that you make that point that there's, there's room um, for folks without some of these easily translatable stories. So let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about these narratives and how they evolved. And maybe since we're talking about COVID, we can stick with that for now. Um, what were the COVID narratives, in addition to the ones you've already mentioned, that were most shared, especially related to brands?
0: Hmm. I think where, where brands saw the most engagement was definitely when they took uh, what we were calling pro-social steps. So whether that is the, the printing of PPE or you know, retooling um, your beer factory to produce hand sanitizer um, or whether it was giving away free access to digital content for kids at home, Scholastic also I think had some real successes with giving um, free access. Th- those were really uh, strong narratives for brands. And I think you're riding on a couple of coat there. Like during a crisis, I think h- people seem to be primed to celebrate giving and to celebrate, um, you know, uh, heroes, even. <laughs> You know, any any good action is kind of, you know, a bit heroic and people want to pass it on. And people also feel good if they're passing on something, especially a digital good that everyone can benefit from and sharing that with their extended um, social group. So I think that was, that was the healthiest, definitely the dominant place for brands were engaging. Like aside from that, you know, you have a huge misinformation, political, all kinds of other narratives.
1: Yep. And, and we actually, we, we look into that um, in, in in the piece that you all did for us. So again, it, it's, it's some really interesting things around um, some of the, some of the fa- fake news that was sort of shared on the back of, of the crisis. You know, and I wanted to ask if you, you know, as we are kind of going into a new phase of kind of COVID-19, right? I mean, the initial shock seems to have worn off. Obviously, a lot of states in the U.S. anyway opened up and are now experiencing a massive resurgence. And I'm curious if you all have looked into what the narrative is now and what's being shared and, you know, both from a more general news perspective and then also from specifically looking at brands.
0: I think we may need to refresh what we're looking at around brands at the moment. I haven't done anything in the last few weeks, but what we have seen, you know, generally with with COVID is it's a very – Politicized disease um, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, for example, when you were looking at the hydroxychloroquine content, you had very clear bias of you know studies or um, research that was pro its usage being being shared by conservative media and audiences, and more critical being shared by by other um, audiences by liberal and center left audiences and you know, it's a real dangerous thing for something to become politicized in this environment. Um, you know, you're either for or against something very quickly. And it might be bad because it's turns into a political football. And once it's <laughs> once it's in the stadium, yeah. you know, it can't just be a, a general good anymore. Um re, you know, Redem Severe and some of the other drugs I think have stayed out of out of that and probably should, because you don't want it to become a thing where it's, you know, a liberal or a conservative position to take a vaccine or to take a particular treatment um when there's really strong evidence that that's you know the right thing to do to combat the disease
1: so i'm curious like how politicized it's become is that a pretty us centric view or have you seen that in other regions as well
0: i think um the us is a particular outlier on this um, i think you have seen a pattern where countries, you know, more nationalist parties and generally probably right of center parties being more skeptical initially of the disease um, and more left of center and liberal parties taking it more seriously earlier. Um, And probably there's an ongoing pattern that stems out from that and that plays out in different ways in different places. My home country of Ireland is pretty central. There isn't a big, you know, uh, tribal divide that exists like that. And I don't know why. We've got a lot of theories, but I don't want to say. <laughs> I, I don't think we've got enough evidence for any of them, but we've managed to avoid that kind of um, uh, very split politics. And, I mean, it could pass. Uh, you, you know, you get you get different people in the White House and some changes, maybe incentives in the media that make things more politicized than they than they have to be. Maybe things can calm down a little bit after November. Fingers crossed.
1: (laughs) And indeed, I mean, I I wonder if now, as you are having more, you know, you know, the president of the United States wore a mask for the first time in public. Um, Was it like Mm -hmm. a week week or so ago? I I wonder. I mean, if that's shifting the narrative, even with some of the conservative publications, if they, if the way that they're talking about. um, the pandemic and the information that they're sharing, if that's changed at all, um, as more conservatives yeah. come on board.
0: I think, I think that has changed. I think we'd need to, uh, I'd need to come back to you with the data, but I think, um, what we have seen is, you know, as more, you know, all the talk about hydroxychloroquine dropped out of conservative media very quickly as more studies came in suggesting it did more harm than good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, uh, You know, I I do think there's there's a coming around. Like people, no one wants to own up to their their mistakes, but definitely certain talk talking points start dropping off, Mm -hmm. and uh, as as more facts are known about the disease, we have seen that.
1: I think that's an interesting pattern, right? To see to notice if like they're rather than retracting past coverage, just sort of dropping certain angles, um, (laughs) as, as um. As new information comes into light, um, and you're right, I mean as you know I think in the u s anyway this will continue to be heavily politicized um, as we go into an election year um, so um, mm-hmm. so so those of you that are listening, I think these are all things that we're probably going to explore in future columns, so keep a lookout um, and and I should actually say that you know because Paul you've been pretty open about um, about getting feedback from readers around what are some of the things that you would like us to to explore. So, you know, anyone listening right now, if there's, you know, if there's any ideas that you have, feel free to ping me, ping Paul directly. Um, and we'll be sure to look at um, some of the stuff because there's a lot to uncover here. And and on on that note, I also want to talk about um, the Black Lives Matter movement and how that narrative sort of evolved. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, there was, an and you'll you can see in the story that we did, there was this interesting timeline around, you know, when George Floyd was murdered, when the first protest started to happen, and then this explosion that we saw on the media side. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Absolutely. I think it's, in terms of the intensity, I think it's it's a unique media event in our, we're about 10 years into social media and media interaction and it's a unique event in terms of intensity. So it actually started on on May 25th. Um, The video of George Floyd's death was uploaded to Facebook. So it actually started with a Facebook video that was uploaded, picked up quickly by by media um, and by May 26th, um, protests were already happening. Um, There were calls for arrest. There was that March on the 3rd Precinct and violence that night. So things kicked off very quickly and grew in intensity um, in terms of reporting on on that story, protests, and people on social media sharing stories um, uh, around the protests and what had happened as well. So really fast growth. By May 29th, the CNN crew was arrested. um, Protests were truly national. Uh, the story peaked by May thirty first, June first. Um, protests, a lot of criticism of police violence at protests, and um, calls for peace um, at the protests because there was a lot of um, kind of violence and looting taking place at that time, and that was coming from Floyd's family, uh, his brother and his girlfriend, and um, uh, you know, police joining the protests as well. So a whole lot of different narratives started interweaving within a week, and uh, the conversation kind of started coming back down again and those some engagement by about June 11th. Within that, that, that two-week period, you had 100 stories that had a million engagements each. Mm. Um, so, you know, some stories getting up to 15 million engagements. That means a, a significant chunk of the U.S. population is seeing that story.
1: Right. You know, a concern that, that, I've, that I've heard, you know, both from folks that are quite active and also even within the PR industry is is the, sustainab- the sustainability of the story and keeping it front and center. So what, based on what you've seen in terms of the information that's resonating and how that's evolved, um, especially as we've gotten further and further away from peak, um, what advice would you give to people to keep this story on people's minds and to keep it at the forefront as much as people can?
0: I, I think the, the intensity you know, has to drop um, a bit because there was there was so much going on on the ground and there was a lot of you know new raw footage coming out of of police officers and protesters that was extremely intense and emotional I think to watch and there's no re- wonder people were sharing it but I think the conversation is continuing um, like I think relying on the you know the facts the levels of violence that take place and police violence is is a big part of it and depending on where you are in corporate comms and you know what kind of where you have the opportunity to advise i think there's manifestations of it throughout um you know corporate america and the us and the world so um oh my i think i think that's the, the million dollar question we're kind of the guys with the um I guess one of the things I would say that we see is people tend to want to engage with positive stories Mm -hmm. and the most engaged with story about Black Lives Matter protests was uh, the kind of cops join the cause theme. Uh, You know, that Forbes story where, where there there was instances of that where cops were kneeling, they were sympathizing with the cause. And what I found intriguing about those stories was you know, they were a little more complicated and they were kind of positive And they showed, mm-hmm. you know, a, a common humanity there between the two sides.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and I think that there might be, you know, people really engaged with that kind of positivity. Um, now there was also a lot of huge engagement, of course, criticism of the the cops, the cops being charged, stories of police brutality. But those stories really shun and were, were ultimately the ones that got the most engagement, Were were the, the lights of kind of common humanity within what was a really emotional, intense and, and difficult time.
1: You know, I, I noticed this commonality between the, the COVID-19 stories that were really shared and the Black Lives Matter ones that were were heavily shared and they were the folks looking for the sort of the the light and the dark kind of thing. I, I think with COVID there was ones about, you know, people singing on their balconies and, you know, neighbors connecting with each mm-hmm. other. And, and even you know brands stepping up, um, and then similarly with Black Lives Matter, it's about the police officers that were deciding to participate in the protests. I mean, in some ways, that's that's not, that's great that people are are drawn to these really um, you know positive stories. But it, there is concern, right, that it's kind of brushing over or glossing over some of the really serious yeah. stuff that's been coming to light.
0: Yeah, I think what what it shows is that people do want to engage, like. When you look at, when you net out all of the numbers, there was more engagement with people being highly critical of of the police, uh, stories of police brutality at other protests. So you know you add all of those up; those are a huge amount. But I think at the same time, then part of these positive stories? Maybe people want to engage with it, but want to know that there's some path forward or some way mm-hmm. that they can engage. And maybe that's simplistic. Those images resonated with people, but maybe they indicate that underneath. People want to you know they they need to protest and there's things that they need to protest about and certainly Ben and Jerry's were very successful. I think with the direct challenge protest story you know let's dismantle white supremacy mm-hmm. and nice strong challenging position, but it's also a little you know it's positive it's like it's stepping forward to do it it's not just saying everything is terrible and on fire it's kind of it's taking a step and, and and that may help explain why it was so popular, like that was the the, the most popular of all of the, the brand responses in terms of engagement.
1: Yeah, no, I think that, that was a great, I mean, that was a great example and it came up in pretty much every conversation that I had with people right around the time that Ben and Jerry's um, kind of put that out there and they, and they've been quite provocative mm-hmm. before. So they, they kind of had permission to play in this space in such a bold way. Um, I, I'm curious just on that note, like whether you saw a lot of conversations about the concept of whiteness about white fragility about white privilege being shared because it felt like for the first time like that that conversation kind of moved really mainstream and just sort of off of just like kind of the fringes of, of kind of the activist communities
0: I think what we like the ones that we saw the most engagement with I don't know that I saw white fragility among the top stories like there was definitely in terms of the protests, you know, uh, th- th- there was there was definitely a sensitivity, I think, to people trying to shut down the conversation in any way. And we saw um, massive engagement when Starbucks advised their staff or required their staff to not wear Black Lives Matter, retire. And I think you know, you've got to give space to this kind of a conversation, and it was maybe a surprising direction from Starbucks, which I think has a really, you know, good reputation as as an employer and has, you know, invested a lot probably in not in, in being seen as anti-racist. But then, uh, you know, it was a real that was the, the ball got dropped there, um, and there may have been an existing narrative in people's minds because of an incident a couple of years ago where all Starbucks staff were required to get. Um, kind of sensitivity and anti-racism training after there was a video recording of a couple of uh, black men being asked to leave the Starbucks for for no reason. And I think that there may have been sensitivity um, to shutting down the conversation, in particular Starbucks doing it because of that incident from a couple of years ago. So if you're advising a brand, you gotta be aware of any potential sensitivities that already might be out there to you Um, on on this topic, I think. And it may not be what everyone in the boardroom thinks. There might be a different view from average media consumer who might just remember that one thing from two years ago.
1: Yeah, and and just to kind of let our listeners know kind of what a big deal the story was. So amongst the most engaged um, articles about employee activism, I believe it's six out of the top 10 were all related to Starbucks um, and you know, not allowing the barista to wear Black Lives Matter attire, which was which was kind of stunning. Um, and this was, I think, from May twenty fifth through June twentieth.
0: Yeah, so it was uh, a bit of a non-goal there, and I, they they reversed their position on it, but um, it, it, it you know clearly really. Um, you know, it felt you know, yeah. for, it felt like it was part of a pattern for people. I think for them to have responded so angrily to it.
1: Yeah, and well, well, and similarly. So, I mean, just looking at the other side of like looking at Ben and Jerry's, and I think from the most engaged articles about oppression in that same time period, out of the ten, I want to say all but like eight i think eight of them were related to ben and jerry's actually no more of right. that, all all 10 because even the other two that don't have ben and jerry's in the title are from ben and jerry's um, homepage so ben and jerry's really managed to dominate this conversation around oppression
0: yeah yeah they did and <clears throat> there's some like there's some instances where you have brands that have long credible standings to engage with a topic like this, like Ben and Jerry's just do, and everyone knows it and expects it. Nike do as well. And, you know, got a lot of engagement when they made a big, you know, big donation um, under their brand, under the Jordan brand. Um, There's also also then sometimes exceptions where, uh, like the Pokemon um, engagement was something I wasn't expecting where, you know, Initially, quite modest donations compared to some of the larger donations going around from Pokemon to uh, the NAACP and the Black Lives Matter movement generated hundreds of thousands of engagements and a great deal of positivity. Um, why do, <laughs> interesting.
1: Why, why do you think that, because that, yeah, the Pokemon one surprised me as well, because it was, it was a $200,000 donation, right? I mean, really small potatoes compared to you know, the $40 million from Nike or the $100 million from Michael Jordan. Um, why do you think that the Pokemon story resonated so, well, so much?
0: I think they got there early. I think um, I think it's also maybe a lesson that the amount, like, definitely with Nike, is going to be under the microscope a little bit more, and they've made a substantial long-term thought through donation. I think people were just happy early on to see this response from Pokemon, and maybe there's a lot of goodwill towards them as a brand. It's a youth-oriented brand. It might be the audience. Um, Maybe there's something I don't know uh, already there about their audience, but I was impressed because normally the advice would be, you know, you kind of need permission to play a little bit. And if you're going to be one of the first to make a donation or take a stand, um, you know, can you do that? But Pokemon went ahead and certainly I think a lot of very positive engagement for it.
1: Yeah. You know, if if you were just looking at the raw numbers as well, it's sort of interesting in terms of like the, the, the topics that get like you know million dollars you know you know million dollars like million plus shares right and it's like you know of course mm-hmm. you know stories about the protests did um, I think Ben and Jerry's initial silence is not an option story did but then the numbers dwindle very very quickly you know when you look at topics like oppression or topics like I mean employee activism was sort of in the middle there because I think they had close to a million or like at least the top three stories. Um, but it's interesting just looking at the sheer numbers and seeing what are the topics that people are even sharing about, right? Um, because while you know you can be the most read article, the most shared article around oppression, that could just mean, or the, you know, the number two story from CNN only had 112,000 shares. The number two story around Black Lives Matter had eight, almost nine million shares, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's really it's almost hard to compare these in some ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, again, it's, it's like what we said at the start of, of, um, of the podcast, which is, you know, some, you know, brands will often be, don't need to be the most shared story of the month in social. Uh, I think as long as you're reaching the audience that you care about through publications that you want to engage with, the numbers can be a lot more modest and and still be quite meaningful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can even see it in, in the websites, right? Like the websites, of course, you know, they, they tend to be more niche um as as the the topic becomes more niche um like you know yeah i mean some of the ones listed for the addressing oppression are you know well i mean uh, scary mommy which i know but i know there's probably a lot of folks listening that maybe aren't familiar with scary mommy um the mary Mm -hmm. sue you know they're 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 not it's not all you know cnn's usa today's and and forbes Um, so Looking forward, I mean, I, I'm almost like, it, it seems like both of these topics, I mean, just the what are the sustainable narratives that come out of the Black Lives Movement matter? I think that's going to be hugely interesting. And as the coronavirus narrative continue, I mean, that's just shifting daily. I think this morning, or was it last night, I just woke up to news that like, you know, the state of Georgia and the United States is banning mandatory masks statewide. So, I mean, that story just continues to have more um dimensions to it um so i I, i'm curious as to like what what you i mean i know we can touch on this a little bit but i mean where you expect um a lot of your research to go
0: well i think what we're seeing in fact something we do with axios is we we roll up our data as to what which stories are getting engagement into a kind of attention tracker Mm -hmm. we map that onto some of the issues anything from climate change to um coronavirus racial justice and uh, for the last, you know, two months, I think, or time is funny these days, right? But, you know, the two coronavirus and racial justice have been right up there on top. Um, and, you know, so for people who are engaging with with racial justice things in, in, through their communications work and advice, that's still there. It's still big. It's not as big as it was, but it's, it's, it's definitely in everyone's consciousness right now. So I think that's going to be continuing. I mean, you look at coronavirus as impacting people's day-to-day life in a way that there's very few news events that is that have, <laughs> I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a president gets elected, but you wake up the next day and you can still do all the same stuff you did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's going to be remain the big issue. Everything will be through that lens. Um, the flattening the curve has moved on to all kinds of other different tactics, which it looks like will be playing out until there's a vaccine or um, maybe herd immunity um, in in the US um, and in some some jurisdictions. But uh, so it's got everything is going to keep going through that lens. Um, The, what else would I say looking forward? There's new habits being formed, um, like paying attention, People are engaging in an intense way with the news, with media, um, and with social media. All of the numbers are up in terms of the amount of time people are spending sharing and engaging with news. Mm-hmm. So I think it's worth just paying attention to and seeing what what other secondary trends start coming out of that.
1: Yeah, yeah no, I think um, that's a really good point about kind of habits and and even to your point about you know as we start to get more data and more information about some of these therapies what what the news cycle looks like around that and what that means for fake information right because i think there will inevitably be this sort of you know backlash you know whether it's anti-vaxxers or whoever right around around some of these drugs so um yeah there's so many different threads i I, it almost seems like you know every time we we do a column around that you know with newswhip that we should almost do a conversation like this to follow that up Mm -hmm. to, to kind of dig into the numbers a little bit more. Um, So so I guess I just announced something. So um, (laughs) (laughs) so Paul, I'm I'm committing you now to whenever we have um, a new column that we bring you on and we just talk a little bit about what those numbers mean.
0: Great, great. great. I was already thinking like, you know, people advising, if you're advising the people developing vaccines, like how do you avoid becoming a political football? How can you make sure that it's just something that's accepted by both sides and positive seen as a positive by both sides those are interesting questions so yeah there's one for us
1: yeah no i think that that's a really good one actually is looking at all of the different drugs out there and looking at you know what kind of misinformation is out there what are the stories yeah. that are being shared about each of these drugs um in fact that would actually be a really interesting next one um well well the, i think we, we've we've covered a lot of ground here so this was great and paula now that now that i'm kind of committed you to coming back um we can we can probably wrap up here and just save everything else for for next time
0: awesome i'm already looking forward to it already thank you
1: all right thanks paul and we'll be back soon with another episode of uh the provoke podcast you've
0: been listening to the provoke podcast brought to you by provoke media and produced by the international broadcast specialist marketers